The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning. My name is Dale Fast, and I'm one of the deacons here in our church. Over these past few weeks, as we've been going through this sermon series, we've been so blessed by having a variety of people share with us about where and how they have been using their God-given gifts to serve in his kingdom. We've heard about volunteering at a youth drop-in, about foster parenting, serving in a youth ministry organization, and about global missions. We've heard how God has used these times of serving to bless others and glorify himself. These stories have been so wonderful to hear, and I trust that many of us have been inspired to further seek how we might serve God more in our own lives. Today I'm here to tell you about some of the stories that you don't know, stories that you've never heard and might not otherwise ever hear, because these are the things that take place behind the scenes. As deacons, we often get to have a unique view of what happens in our church. We get to see ways in which people in our church family quietly and beautifully take care of each other, sometimes without anybody knowing. It is so encouraging to see people using the gifts God has given them to help and bless one another. Today I'd like to share a few of examples of what happens behind the scenes. Not at all because the people involved in these situations want their work to be elevated. In fact, I'm not mentioning any names. But as deacons, we see that a big part of our role is to encourage and equip our church family members in caring for each other. On behalf of the deacons, I hope that we all can be encouraged as I give you a glimpse of some unsung servers so that we might all be inspired to use our gifts, no matter how big or small, to build one another up. Our first example is the prayer warriors. There are some in our church who devote significant amounts of time during their week to pray for others in our church family. This is a service that perhaps no one else will ever see, yet these servants are faithfully coming before the Lord to spend quality time praying for our, cons- our congregation, our leadership, our community, and our building project. In another example, this winter there has been a small group of young men who have been on call to help shovel snow for someone in our church who is recovering from surgery. Not a big time commitment, It actually hasn't snowed all that often, but when it has, they've been there to help. Or, this past summer, a family from our congregation went together to help out in the garden for someone who needed some extra hands. Then there is the couple who, before worship service on Sundays, prepares food for afternoon guests, even though they don't know yet who those guests are going to be. They go to church looking for someone to invite over for lunch, someone they don't know, perhaps someone new to the church or as yet not connected with our church. What a great demonstration of hospitality that isn't a hardship for them, but it has already significantly impacted the lives and relational connectedness of others in this church family. It is amazing how many people take it upon themselves to visit those in our church who are in hospital or struggling with an illness. The deacons and staff know who you are. 
because we see you at the hospital when we arrive to visit the same people or because those people tell us that you were just there yesterday. We are very grateful for you and your compassion. There are folks in our congregation who make themselves available to give rides to others who need them. This includes rides to church every Sunday morning for some, or helping people get to their various appointments for others. What a great example of the gift of helps. Not long ago, someone in our church family made a huge pot of soup and brought some to each of the new mothers in our church. One of our favorite recent stories is when our middle school youth group was asked to give a gift to someone in our church who had been a source of influence or encouragement in their life. One of the kids decided to give his gift to one of our ushers, someone that really he barely knew, except that this was a person who he saw as caring and friendly every week. Truly, we may never know the depth of our, how our own obedience in using our gifts is going to impact others, but we do know that the Holy Spirit has given us gifts in order to build one another up. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but one spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It is so beautiful to see God's people using their gifts to serve one another. In the very near future, we are hoping to approach you as a church with an opportunity to provide the pastors and deacons with some information about where your own passions and giftings are and how you personally might be best suited to serve others as needs arise. And in the meantime, let us look for every opportunity to bless one another, encourage one another, and spur one another on to good works and to Christ-likeness. May the body of Christ be built up, and may the Lord be exalted in all. Morning, church. Good morning. That was good. I was talking to my sister this week. I don't preach very often, so when I told her that I was preaching, she, she said she'd give me five bucks if I used the word watermelon in my sermon. So, first things first, thou shalt eat watermelon this summer, amen. And if my sister, Shelly, if you're listening to this online, you can know that I did this in the first service too, so that's good for ten bucks, I figure. <laughs> Let's begin with prayer. Father, it was a blessing to hear the scripture that Melanie shared with us earlier today. I pray that it would be true, that we would treasure your word. And I pray that your word would be made clear today beyond what my faltering lips can do. I pray that your spirit would use this time uh, in, for your good pleasure to open up our hearts and that the truth of your word would be clear in a way that inspires us, uh, spurs us on uh, in our growth in you in Christ-likeness. Bless this time for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin with a story from Mark chapter 9. I've shared these observations here before, I think, in, into that microphone instead of this one. And uh, it's one of my favorite uh, reflections, though. So I want to share it with you again. And it's the story 
where Jesus chooses three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to the top of the mountain. And they go to the top of the mountain, and before their eyes, Jesus is transfigured into pure glory. And they also see Moses, and they see Elijah, uh, and they hear the voice of God the Father. It is a powerful, powerful time for those three disciples to see all of that. But I find myself thinking more about the other nine disciples, the ones who didn't get invited on the trip, the ones who are still, who are still at the bottom of the mountain. I identify with them more. I feel like they must feel kind of left out. They never got invited to go. Uh, they didn't get to go do the special thing. And then, going on to the next story in Scripture, when Jesus and Peter and James and John, the three who got to go, when they come back down the mountain, there's an uproar going on. There's a crowd of people around the other nine disciples because somebody has brought their son to be healed because he's demon-possessed, and the disciples couldn't do it. So not only did they not get invited on the trip, now Jesus, who I would imagine is the one that they really want to impress because they really love him a lot, he comes down the mountain, and the crowd goes from where the nine disciples are to where Jesus is, and they tell on them, basically. They basically say, your disciples couldn't do this thing. And so Jesus goes on, and he heals the boy, and, and that finishes that story, and they go on to another thing. But I think about those, those guys a lot. I think about if they woke up that morning and what they wanted for themselves on that day was to look good or to be especially appreciated, if what they wanted uh, was to, to be known, uh, this was a really crummy day. This was maybe the worst, the worst day. But if what they wanted on that day was to see people coming to greater faith in Jesus, to see people coming to know who Jesus was for the very first time, if what they wanted on that day was to see Jesus doing something miraculous, if what they wanted on that day was to see Jesus exalted, then this is the best day, the best day ever. And it's that perspective that we're going to be talking about in today's message. And we're going to call that the common good. Make sure this works. There we go. There we go. We're going to call that the common good. The common good refers to God's purposes for his church and for his kingdom. And if we can understand that together, then we're ready for this message. And the message today is from the text 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. This is just a, a little collection of verses that we usually gloss over, I think, because they're right before some really big chapters that we tend to focus on with some lists of spiritual gifts and talking about the body of Christ and all of those things. But this is before that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. And as we read this, I invite you to stand with me, please. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Please have a seat. At the time of the writing of this letter, 
The church in Corinth is a mess. Uh, mostly the people in the church are doing a very bad job of loving one another. And instead, selfishness is reigning supreme. People in the church, of, uh, people in the church who are of higher class are looking down on the people in the church who are of lower class. The people who have means to buy lots of food and such, they're coming to the Lord's Supper. When they celebrate the Lord's Supper, there are people who are bringing food that they can eat as part of the supper, and they're just eating it in front of the people who are of lower class. And the people who are of lower class are just watching them eat it. Uh, even uh, there's division over which church leaders people are supposed to follow. And the opposing groups are treating others with smugness and disrespect. And there are people in the church taking each other, other people in the church to court instead of trying to deal with things in a way that is loving. And then added to all of that, they're having some really, really big problems with spiritual gifts. The church in Corinth has already received spiritual gifts. They've got gifts from the Holy Spirit, but now they're being completely selfish about the whole thing. They are jealous of each other's gifts rather than being thankful for their own. They are using their own gifts to honor themselves rather than to edify others. Plus, those who have the more visible or the seemingly more exotic gifts like prophecy or speaking in tongues are accusing those who do not have those gifts as not having the Holy Spirit in them, while those who do not have the more visible and exotic gifts are skeptical of those who do. So it's a mess. And Paul has received a letter that has told him about all these things. And so the book that we have, that is 1 Corinthians, this is Paul's written response back to the church in Corinth. And he's trying to respond to all of these issues, and he's hoping to try to correct some of these issues in the church. And by the time we get up to this chapter, chapter 12, he's already addressed most of those things. But now he turns to the topic of spiritual gifts. And essentially, what he begins by saying is this. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Remember how you used to be ignorant back before you knew Jesus, back before when you were worshiping dumb, man-made idols? You were completely missing the point about everything that was important. And now you're in danger of missing the point again about spiritual gifts, which, which they totally, totally were. The Christians in Corinth really didn't understand what spiritual gifts were or what they were even for. And I think, honestly, I think that should sound familiar because I think we struggle with some of the same things. I think, for instance, we still have a tendency to be jealous of each other's gifts and abilities. I think we still sometimes put ourselves down because of the gifts that we wish that we had or because of how other people demonstrate their own gifts, we look down on other people as well. And I think that there's always a temptation to use our spiritual gifts in a way that honors ourselves instead of Christ. So Paul's words in this passage, they're for Corinth, but they're also for us. Because we, you and I, we can't afford to be ignorant about spiritual gifts either. Because this is, this is really important. This is really important. And so now with his introduction out of the way, Paul jumps into his first point addressing this controversy over whether or not people have the Holy Spirit if they don't have certain spiritual gifts. And basically what he's saying is, first things first, you are all the same in that you all have the Holy Spirit. His actual words here are, therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, 
Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Truly, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, you do not have the Holy Spirit in you. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord, if ultimately you know that your life is now for him, then you do have the Holy Spirit in you. You can't, you can't make Jesus Christ your Lord without the Holy Spirit helping you do that. Period. Because, you see, our flesh, the sinful flesh that we struggle with, is sinful. If we were left to our own devices, we would not exalt Jesus Christ. Nor would we ever, ever want to. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that because we belong to Christ now, we have the Spirit in us. So now we have a choice every day whether to live according to our old flesh and exalt ourselves with selfish ambition, jealousy, discord, etc., etc., or to live by the Holy Spirit and honor Christ. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit in us, we wouldn't even have that choice. No one lives with Christ as Lord, however imperfectly, without the Holy Spirit. The theologian D.A. Carson writes, to be able to confess that the, that the Jesus of the Incarnation, Cross, and Resurrection is truly the Lord, especially in the face of a society that has lords aplenty, already attests the powerful, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you this morning, that's all you needed to hear today. Because some of you have been wondering about that for yourselves, about whether truly you have the Holy Spirit in you, or whether he is really working in you. That's been on the minds of some people in this room. I've sometimes wondered about that. When I was, when I was 20 years old, I went to the, the convention center. There was a, an evening, a series of evening gatherings, worship services, really, that were happening there. And, and my cousin was going to them, and he was telling me all these things that were, that were happening at that place that were amazing. And I wanted to see what that was about. I was, I was a relatively new Christian, or at least new in my dedication to the Lord in my life, and I wanted to see what this was. And so I, I went by myself one night <clears throat> to the convention center, and there was this huge gathering of people, and I was sitting right in the middle of the gathering. And all around me, there were people, they were speaking in tongues, and there was tons of other stuff going on. And I remember standing in the middle of this group, there's singing happening, and there's all these things happening. I remember having my arms up towards heaven. I can still picture I was wearing... You remember what shaker knit sweaters were? Yeah. I was, that's already past the time I was out of style already in 1990, whatever it was. But I remember my, my arms, and I remember praying, God, I'm right, I'm right here. Like, pick me. All these things that are happening around me, why isn't it happening to me? I, I had this deep desire for something amazing to happen, and it just didn't. I sang the songs, and I went home. And my, and my goal this morning isn't to to try to judge what was happening there that night, because I don't really know. I, I, do believe, I do believe that God still gifts people in, in, in uh, the gift of speaking in tongues uh, in different places and in different ways. Uh, I believe that there are lots of things that God gifts people with. Uh, but I do know, and I can tell you, that I came away from that night just confused, confused and, and discouraged, wondering, does the Holy Spirit even, even like me? Maybe he doesn't like me. You know, maybe he's not in me, you know. Uh, and if these are questions that you've been asking yourself at all, then let this passage that we're looking at today, let this passage of God's word assure you that if you have already trusted Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins and have declared him your Lord, then yes, most definitely yes, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Whether or not you feel him right now, whether or not you are aware of his work in your life right now, know that he is with you. And that's Paul's first point. Because like we said, people have been accusing each other of not having the Holy Spirit because of not having you know, the right gifts. And so Paul is saying, as believers, we are all the same in that we have the Holy Spirit, so stop judging each other about that. And then he contrasts that with his second point, essentially saying, we are also all different from each other. So stop trying to compare your gifts with one another. Because the people of Corinthian church, they're also struggling with jealousy. They're comparing their gifts and their abilities with one another. They're seeing some gifts as more important, some gifts as less less valuable than others. Do you ever struggle with that? When you think of what your gifts and abilities are that you're aware of. How often have I heard someone say, I'm not good at anything. Or, I wish I could do such and such as good as so and so does. Or, I wish I could accomplish as much as that person does. Or, I wish people would see me in the way that they see that other person. Or, I'm of no use to God because there's nothing that I'm able to do for him. Does any of that sound familiar of things that you maybe have said in your own life? It's kind of ironic, really. We are responding, to the, responding in the flesh about how we are gifted by the Spirit. And so were the people in Corinth. So Paul responds to this by showing how unique each of our spiritual lives actually are. He says in verses 4 to 6, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And basically, he's trying to say that in regards to our gifting and our service, each of us have situations that are completely different from each other. We are completely diverse from one another, so it doesn't make any sense to compare. And so in these verses, he's describing three levels of diversity. First of all, in verse 4, Even though there is only one spirit, he has given each of us a totally different set of gifts. Because of the gifts that I have, there are things that I can do by the power of the Holy Spirit that many others cannot. And because of the gifts that you have, there are things that you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit that I cannot. That's the first level of diversity amongst us. And then secondly, even though we are serving one Lord, Jesus Christ, We are each called to serve in unique places and in unique ways. Even if some of our gifts are the same, our callings are still different. Maybe I've got the gift of mercy, and maybe you have the gift of mercy. And maybe I'm called to use my gift of mercy in counseling ministry, and maybe you're called to use your gift of mercy in in hospital visitation, or volunteering at a homeless shelter, or making soup for young moms. Maybe that's your calling. So this is another level of diversity beyond beyond just what gifts we have. It's also the the situations that we are called to serve Christ in uniquely that are unique to us because that's what our calling is. And incidentally, we could also be called to do a similar kind of service, but with different gifts. For instance, two people might be serving effectively as leaders, but they might be serving effectively as leaders using different gifts to do that with. 
And then thirdly, in verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but God works all of them and all people. Everything that happens in God's kingdom happens in God's timing, by the power that he provides and in the special ways that he chooses to bring it about. Wherever you might serve God, God is very distinctly orchestrating everything for his glory, both in your lives and, and also the lives around you. And he's working in your life and through your life in a way that is completely unique to you. He never, never changes. He is the same God, and the truth of the gospel never changes either. But the ways that he reaches people and the ways that he grows people in Christ-likeness are always tailor-made for the situation and are always a testimony to his creativity. I love on Sunday mornings when we have people come up here and share their faith stories about how they came to know Christ and what Christ is doing in their lives. Because no story is ever the same. Every person has a different experience of how God is working in their life. And it's not because God is different with me and different to you, with you. He's the same God. And the life-changing gospel is the same gospel. But there's just two different ways that he's working. Because there are many different kinds of working, but God works all of them in all people. So you can see that by the time we get through these three levels of diversity, it doesn't make any sense for us to compare our gifts and our service with one another. It makes a lot more sense for us to be joyful and to celebrate all of the diverse ways that God is working in us and through us. Yet we struggle with comparing. We struggle with comparing. It is something that is quite natural, I think, to many of us. And I think, honestly, one of the ways or the reasons that we do that comparing is because as a society, we tend to put things into hierarchies and then we assign value to different levels of that hierarchy. We might say that a manager is more valuable than an employee. We might say that somebody who has a job is more valuable than somebody who does not have a job, or somebody who is, is homeless, or any, of, or any number of things. As if, as if the intrinsic value of a person somehow depends on those kinds of things. Even in our view of theology, we have a really, really hard time wrapping our mind around how it is that God the Holy Spirit can be subservient to God the Son, Jesus Christ, by giving us the gifts to help us to exalt Christ. Or we have a hard time wrapping our mind around how God the Son can be subservient to God the Father in being obedient to him, even obedient to death on a cross. We've got these different levels of subservience in some, in some kinds of instances, but yet we also know that all of these persons of, of, of God are, are one, and they're equal to each other. There's not one that is more valuable than the other. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. Just like in the church in Corinth, we sometimes get stuck in the idea that the more visible gifts are somehow more valuable. And in that church, it was about overinflating the value of speaking in tongues. But today, it could be about anything else. Uh, it, it might even be in our church, uh, the overinflating of the primary equipping roles mentioned in Terry's sermon last week. The apostles, the evangelists, prophets, teachers, and pastors that are used to equip others in using their own spiritual gifts. We need to remember that in God's economy, no gift is more valuable than any other. And later on in this chapter, Paul goes to great lengths uh, to, to explain that and to prove that. Uh, after this passage, in the next group of verses, there's a list of spiritual gifts of, of various kinds. And 
speaking in tongues is conspicuously at the end of the list, as if Paul is saying, we, we are overinflating this gift, and he's downplaying it in this, in this list. And also after that, he goes to talk about the body of Christ, and saying where the parts that seem the weakest are, in fact, indispensable. Uh, Dale shared earlier in the service about a number of kinds of behind-the-scenes caring that's happening in our church. These are examples of people using their gifts in ways that are not talked about, are not glorified, and, and uh, usually not known about by the general public, yet it's probably those kinds of actions that will have greater impact in the faith community than seemingly big-ticket items like, like teaching or, or leading or even preaching a sermon. So may God make us into a church of people who do not compare their gifts or service with one another. Because this is not about us. You see, Paul goes on to say, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. At the beginning, I shared that story from Mark chapter 9 about Jesus' disciples. And they could have had a really good day or a really bad day, depending on their, their perspective, depending on whether they were focused on their egos or whether they were focused on the glory of Christ and his kingdom. Because that's, that's what the common good is about. It's about people coming to Christ, people growing in Christ together. And it's for those purposes that we've received spiritual gifts. Dr. H.A. Ironside writes, In the churches of God, there are spiritual gifts given for the blessing of all. The Lord desires that his gospel should be preached that his word should be expounded, that his people be built up in their most holy faith, and to this end he has imparted certain spiritual gifts. He has not given the same gifts to everybody, but to all he has given some gift for the blessing of the whole company. We've been given spiritual gifts. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have been given spiritual gifts. Whether you know what they are or not, or have ever known. We've been given these gifts so that we can support one another, help one another, teach one another, disciple one another, shepherd one another, serve one another, encourage one another, lead one another, or something one another, depending on what your gifts are, so that together we can be built up until we all, and I remember this from last week's passage in Ephesians, until we all, not each, but all, become mature in Christ. That's what we heard last week in Pastor Terry's sermon. And as we heard, maturity is measured in Christ-likeness. So people coming to Christ, people growing in Christ together is the common good. And to use our gifts for anything less is to misuse those gifts, which I think that we, we sometimes do. In our church, we have something called the Benevolent Fund. Every month we have our Lord's Supper right here, and then after that we have an offering, a special offering for the Benevolent Fund. And what that fund is, it's, a, it's money that is set aside so that if somebody in our church or in our community ends up going through a hard time financially, loses their job, or something else happens in a crisis, and uh, they could benefit from some financial help, then there's this money that's set aside. And so when a situation like that comes up, then the deacons respond to that by, by talking with each other and then, and then presenting a gift of money uh, from, that, from that fund to the individual or to the family that could benefit from it. And that's what it is. it is. It is a gift. When we give from that fund, we don't earmark it by saying, 
we're going to give you this, but you have to use it for buying groceries, or you have to use it uh, to, to pay your, your mortgage or to put gas in your car. We don't say that, because if we did say that, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a contract. And that's the same, that's the same with spiritual gifts. We've been given something freely. And there's, there's some excitement. There's an adventure in discerning how we might serve God with these spiritual gifts. And we're free to explore that. And that's, and that's fun. And there's also a lot of ways that we could use these gifts to honor ourselves. Because we know humanly that as soon as we're good at something, as soon as we know that we are gifted in some area or another, the temptation is to start finding our identity in that thing, in that gift, rather than in God and Christ. Or to look to boost our own egos with the things that God's gifted us to do. That's a huge temptation. There's another quote by Ironside. I think it's in your sermon notes. It says, If God gives me any little gift at all, he gives it not that I may gather people around myself, but he gives it to me for the blessing of others, for the salvation of sinners, and for the edification of saints. Honestly, on this side of heaven, we're, we're all going to be a mixed bag of motives. All of us have if we are followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we also have our sinful flesh that we struggle with. And just like in Galatians 5, like I said, uh, every day we choose whether we're going to live according to the Spirit or according to the flesh. And we, we make different choices at different times. So we're often a mixed bag of motives. And we might have, have a really healthy motive sometimes and not so much the other. But in using our gifts, just like, just like John the Baptist, who said that Christ must increase and he must decrease, our honest prayer in handling our gifts well has to be that God would help us to use our gifts selflessly so as to bless others above ourselves and Christ above all. And also, our honest prayer has to be that God would grant us a larger desire for his good, for this common good, for the good of his kingdom, than we have for our own preferences that we would desire the purposes of his kingdom ahead of our own comfort, that we would desire the purposes of his kingdom ahead of our own convenience, that we would desire the purposes of his kingdom ahead of our own fame, or maybe even our own safety. Some of you were at Mission Fest a few weeks ago, and one of the speakers there, he was uh, a man who, with his family, had served in, in Colombia for 35 years. And during that 35 years, he had been kidnapped by uh, guerrilla armies five times. He'd been kidnapped by the military three times, and he'd been kidnapped by the government twice. And he shared this story of, of a five-month period where he spent the better part of that five months tied to a post in the middle of a guerrilla camp in the jungle. And of course, he had frustration and certainly a lot of anxiety about that until he heard God say to him, well, how else was I going to get you in the middle of a guerrilla camp in the jungle to do ministry for me? And then it was ministry, genuinely. And the same man, he had been in prison so many times, and every time that he was in prison, he had prison ministry. And there was one story he told where the authorities were trying to decide whether he was going to have, have his, his imprisonment in the prison or whether he was going to have house arrest, and how his wife was kind of saying, well, actually, he should probably be in prison. <laughs> I don't know what that says about his marriage, exactly. <laughs> But what an amazing thing that here is a husband and wife serving the kingdom of God 
and their convenience, even their togetherness, is lesser than what it seems like to them the greater good would be for the kingdom of God. Everybody in our house is already saved. Maybe you should be in the prison for this next while. I came away from that just blown away. I came away from that really convicted and inspired and, and, and wondering in my heart of hearts, do I desire the common good more than I love my own life? And uh, I think the answer is no. And I need to be praying, and we need to be praying that our answer would more and more be, be yes. Many of us have been going through a book called Leadership by Don Cousins. Some of you have been going through this book as a ministry team. Others have been going through it as, uh, as your life groups. Um, some of you have been coming to the, the church electives that we hold here in the evenings. And in this book, Don Cousins calls us to be a church that has biblical focus on the common good. Where everyone, to be a church where everyone has an awareness of what their spiritual gifts are. To be a church where everyone has an awareness of how the Holy Spirit has gifted them to serve. To be a church where the elders in that church, such as the board and, and the leadership, serve not as representatives of the congregation so as to make sure that everyone's desires are met, but rather as representatives of God, ensuring that God's desires are being met by us as a church. That we are growing in his word and serving the world around us rather than just getting what we think we want. To be a church where, in fact, the staff and the other ministry leaders are focusing less of their time actively doing all of the hands-on ministry in the church, but are instead focusing more of their time on helping and equipping the people of the church to use their gifts to do actively more hands-on ministry themselves. And to be a church where people are coming to church not as consumers who are looking to be served or entertained, but as servers who are eager to understand what their gifts are and to find ways to use their gifts in the church and through the church for the glory of God in this world. As pastors, we talk about this a lot. We desire to use our gifts to help all of the members of this church body to use your gifts well. That is a responsibility that we feel is on us. And not just not just the paid staff, but anybody with, with the kinds of, of gifts that Pastor Terry talked about last week from Ephesians chapter 4, primarily equipping gifts. So it's our responsibility to help the church to use your gifts, to care for one another in the church, just like Dale shared today, and further God's kingdom in the world. And it's all of our responsibility as a church to serve and to look for opportunities to help others to use their gifts to serve as well. And that's why so much of our conversation and preaching has been about equipping this past year. And it's not going to stop. I think we're going to keep hearing more about that. That's why the board and the staff are working through the leadership workbook together so that it can start with us and trickle down to, uh, to all the different parts of the church. That's why the leadership courses are being offered right now. And that's why we as staff are looking to devote intentional time investing in individuals who serve in our areas of ministry so we can walk alongside you to build you up in your gifts and to help empower you in ministry in whichever way that we can. And that's why we're going to continue on in this church with a focus upon helping us grow in our knowledge and use of spiritual gifts. 
I don't know how many of you are in these classes right now or how many of you are taking leadership in your life groups. I don't know how many of you have ever done a spiritual gift assessment before to see what your gifts are. And certainly, just like any other man-made written tool, it's only really that. It's a, it's a springboard for discussion. Uh, Don Cousins doesn't have the monopoly on, on the mind of God, certainly. But, but what an affirming thing for us to have a better understanding of how it is that God's gifted us to serve him and where it is God is gifting us to serve him and what it is he's doing in our life where it is he's, he's really putting his power when we, are, when we are serving him. That's that zone of God's anointing that you've been hearing about. As Don Cousins reminds us, the church is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. Each of us have gifts that represent a different piece of Christ's heart for the church and for the world. And for us to truly grow in maturity in our faith and for us to be a church that is best equipped to serve and make Jesus Christ famous in the world around us. We need all the pieces. According to this uh, spiritual gifts inventory, um, I have the spiritual gifts of mercy and creative communication. That's art stuff and music stuff. Um, and shepherding and, and encouragement. And in order for us to grow together, you need me to step up and use those gifts. And each of you have unique gifts. And in order for us to grow together, we need you to step up and use those gifts for God's common good because that's what, that's what life is for. Amen. I'm going to call the worship team up. And uh, while they're coming up, I want to ask you to consider a few questions, the questions that are at the bottom of your, your insert. And these three questions come from verses 4 to 6. And you might look at these questions and you might, you might know the answers to some of them already. Or maybe you have no idea and if, if, if you're really kind of at the beginning of that and, and you don't know the answer to these questions, I invite you to, to talk about it with somebody who knows you well or to join in with one of the leadership uh, groups or classes or come to talk to one of us as pastors. We would love, love to talk to you about this stuff. And here's the questions. Are you aware of how the Holy Spirit has gifted you? Do you have a sense of where the Lord has called you to serve? And what work is God doing in you in this season of life? Three really important questions that would be really great for us to get to the bottom of for each one of us so that we're not ignorant about spiritual gifts. And before we join together in song, let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for how you have designed the body of Christ in such a beautiful and intricate way. I thank you how you have allowed us to be your hands and feet in this world and all the other parts of the body too. I thank you for each of the ways that you've gifted each person in this room, each precious person in this room that you know and created and love and how you have designed things so that in using these gifts, we can grow in maturity in you, becoming more Christ-like together. And in using these gifts, we can grow in our effectiveness in making you famous in the world, making you known around us, that your kingdom would grow. God, all that we can do is, is come to you in prayer and ask for enlightenment. I pray that you would... You would 
guide us uh, in, in understanding how it is that we are equipped to serve and help us to serve by your strength and not for our glory, but for yours. Help us to not compare. Please, just like so many other things, God, we have the temptation and the very, very real potential of taking the beautiful thing that you've created it and twisting it and making it something that is ugly. Help us to not compare with each other. Help us to not look down on each other. Help us to serve each other. Help us to enter into this body of Christ with a desire to build others up so that together we can use our gifts to, to honor you. Because you are the most important thing. Your kingdom is our common good. And what is best for you is truly best for us. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. May you hear our worship just now as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin started the service, the sermon, wondering why Spirit of God hadn't given him some powerful gift on that great occasion. It's taken me a long time to understand because we put almost magic to the word spiritual gift. Some weird, strange experience. I got an insight into this one time because my wife was feeling a little bit down in the dumps. And she was telling me, I'm no good. And I said, of course you're good. Well, what good guy do? You play the piano. Then she said this, anybody can play the piano. She's a great pianist. Anybody couldn't. But Marie learned piano when she was about two to three years old as a language. It came as natural to her as talking does. Anybody can talk. Anybody can play the piano. It wasn't a great big meeting or something magic that was her gift. It was just part of who she was. And so often when we put ourselves down, we put down the very gift the Spirit of God has given us. So whatever else you do, looking for your gift to look inside, And accept that they're limited, accept that they're just never going to be perfect. That doesn't matter. Just start there. And then start using whatever it is that's natural to you. It comes almost second nature. You might say it's not very important. But my goodness, others might say something quite different. all of us
sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.